0: Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and The Fiend, Bray Wyatt, frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com and we thank them for supporting the podcast.
1: This episode of Foundation Radio contains discussions of sensitive material. Listener discretion is strongly advised. If you or someone you know is having thoughts of suicide or experiencing a mental health or substance abuse crisis, 988 provides connection to free confidential support. There is hope, and the Lifeline works. For 24-7 confidential support, just call, text, or chat 988. World and welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Bernard. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, my guest on the program today is Amanda Savage. She is currently a pro writing news, or excuse me, let me try that again, a pro wrestling news writer covering WWE, AEW, Impact, and Ring of Honor live shows six nights a week for the last two years on WrestleTalk.com. However, in real life. Amanda has spent over a decade as a clinical social worker, and individual therapist, earning her master's degree in social work, concentrating in mental health from the University of Washington. Amanda, thank you so much for joining me. And how are you today?
2: I'm great. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. Hopefully these thunderstorms stay off here while we're recording. But I am very excited (laughs) to have you here. Uh, Really excited to talk about the uh, thread that sort of took over uh, Twitter wrestling twitter for a little while about main event yeah. jay uso and i wanted to talk to you a lot and kind of deep dive into this we have a lot to talk about with money in the bank uh, and all the happenings there so i want to first and start off and just get an idea from you uh when did you first become aware of the tweet thread that i put out about main event jay uso
2: i think it was like already a day after it had been up um but i remember seeing it and thinking like oh This was, I had tweeted maybe a couple weeks before, like, there's a dissertation here. (laughs) Like, there's so much to unpack. There's easily 50 pages to be written about what is being portrayed in this storyline, just about sort of a toxic family dynamic that I think probably impacts a lot of people, but isn't often talked about in such a clear way. So... Um yeah it was after it had already been up and it was just like oh cool this guy did it <laughs> and then, <laughs> yeah. like if you and then I remember like I reached out to you just like if you want some clinical buzzwords to throw in but like you're just spot on with what everything that you would be everything that you reference would be um, something that from a clinician standpoint, I was like, yes, that's what I'm seeing too. Like that's what I'm
1: seeing too. So it was really cool. <laughs> I, well, listen, I, and I, I know I said this on Twitter and I apologize for stealing your thunder on this. Um, I had really kind of, I had been thinking about it. Like I'd really been like kind of stewing about the whole thing because I wasn't sure if I wanted to be that honest, you know, like in these situations and yeah. I'm sure people that you work with as well, like it's difficult to be that vulnerable in situations about things that have happened to you. And it, a lot of therapy and a lot of time it took to get to that point. But, uh, when did you start to get an idea or like as a, as a wrestling fan and as a wrestling writer, when did you start to get an idea that there was potentially like this super amazing subtext story that was happening in tandem with the Roman reigns head of the table story? Like, when did you start to get an idea like from the professional lens?
2: I think that, um, Viewing so there's kind of like a split in my fandom. So like the bloodline storyline started before I was sort of professionally compelled to be watching wrestling this much. Um, so I remember the way that I was engaged at that point was much more ancillary fan, but thinking like, oh, this is like the pandemic era, like, well, this isn't interesting, the way that these things are fitting together and kind right. of the way that then they sort of took over and started really having this ascent together. But I think that the actual moment that like I pinged and went, huh, let's, hmm, was one of the times, it was after Sammy had already started hanging out with them. And it was one of the times where they send, um, it's very clear that Paul Heyman is working on behalf of Roman to separate them. So it's, oh, go back to the bus go back to the plane, there's sushi. Yeah. You don't have to worry, you know, and it's very, I'm taking care of you, but it, it's so much more than that. And it's, it's actually not that it's, I I need to isolate you from the truth. Um, you might see something that will ping to you and make you ask questions about my characters. I'm going to need you to not be here for this moment. Like, and that, but that's not what's being said at all. It's, I'm taking care of you. There's sushi. You're how you're living the high life that I'm providing for you. So, it's it's wild. So that was sort of the first and then when I when it hit me like, "Oh, I has to probably at some point put some like clinical words to this was after Sammy had already gotten out and he had that um, backstage interaction with Jay and he, no, it wasn't. It was before he was telling Mm. Kevin Owens he wanted to go speak to Jay. And Kevin Owens was like, why? Literally why? There's no reason you're done. Like there's nothing. And Sammy was like, I just feel like, like a guilt I just feel like an obligation. It was just like, oh no, you're in the fog. Like that's the fear, of the obligation, the guilt cycle. Like you're there, like yep. he'll get you back. No, it's,
1: uh-huh. it's, that really- my, it's the Michael Corleone. Every time I try to get out, they pull me back in. Yeah, like you're, that's, you're just, the, the tentacles are still there. And it's it's really like, for me, it felt like from the very beginning of the story, for me anyway too, I mean, I've been a lifelong fan. I've been watching since for as long as I can remember. And yeah. for me, when I'm watching the story, I can see it almost immediately. And it's it's even before, which is kind of wild, which I haven't really talked about with anybody, but like watching the story started before I really started doing my own like self-analysis and self-work, right? Because I was still like attached to my abuser. Um, yeah. They were still around in my life. Uh, and I wasn't really being honest about, you know, the impact and things that they had on, the, on my life, you know? And yeah. so I'm watching Jay Uso take this madness, this abuse, this, 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 uh, psychological terror from Roman Reigns. And it's 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 it, it's like dragging something up in me. You know what I mean? And I'm sure you've seen it in your work when you're talking to people and you, you start bringing up things and they get defensive. And like, I was literally finding myself like defensive and angry after watching it. And I'm like, what the hell's going on with me? And it wasn't until I started, you know, doing the hard work and, and doing that therapy uh, that I realized I was like, wow, this is really affecting me in a lot of ways that I, I wasn't really prepared for. Um, tell me a little bit more about, I guess, your clinical analysis of, of of Roman Reigns the character because I think I want to start there and I really want to start pulling apart you know because again like we've talked about this before on on Twitter and you can follow me at this is goober it's my pinned tweet uh, and we'll make sure we send out all of uh, Amanda's information here to follow her on Twitter as well but talk to me more about the character Roman Reigns and what you would see as like maybe like from a professional analysis standpoint what what do you feel on him
2: so i think whether or not they know they're doing it is sort of a whole different conversation and something that would be interesting to unpack at some point with like someone in the know, um, which is not me uh, <laughs> at all.
1: <laughs> or me um, either. I don't want to pretend like it is, but somebody, somebody.
2: Yeah, no. And also I think it's like vaguely important to me to recognize that when we're using these names, like we're not talking about, and it's easier with a bloodline because most of them, they're not the same name. Like when, when we're saying Roman Reigns, we're not talking about Joe, like we're right. talking about Roman. So it is very different. Um, I I read a fascinating quote from Paul Heyman where he had kind of said that um, some of the character inspiration for the Roman character comes from um, Apocalypse Now. So it's sort of like um, Roman is meant to be this almost like isolated um, figurehead who is so powerful, but that ends up kind of driving themselves crazy almost in their own mind. Um, but whether or not they know it they're painting an excellent portrayal of a person with um and then I'm also so let me take a side tangent is sure. that we we've, we've no, the way that we did. listen this <laughs>
1: dynamic this is a conversation like i'm not i'm not approaching this in any other way than like hey let's just freeform here because again like a lot of this stuff that i tweeted is like it didn't necessarily happen on the fly right but like it happened right. so it was like it just sort of started to fill out, you know, and just come out. And I was like, oh, wow, I gotta. I forgot about this part. So I would go back and then I found mm-hmm. myself instead of tweeting it, because I had an initial tweet up and I I deleted that, right? And then I went back and I just, in my notepad, I just tweeted it, I like like listed it out and copied it in. So no, this is, feel free to take as many tangents and side roads, because I think, uh, to, to clarify too, as far as like what you said about uh, earlier with like Joe and the characters, this is really important stuff. I've had a, a bunch of people reach out to me about yeah. these tweets and say, thank you for writing this, like, I, I thought I was the only one that noticed this hundreds of people, like not just on my Twitter, yeah. but my personal other social feeds and, 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 you know, through the, the mind of the meanie show that I do, like a lot of people have reached out and were like, I'm, I'm so glad you wrote this. Like, thank you for sharing your experience and, and, and it's important. So I really want to take a good time here and really deep, uh, you know, dive deep into this. So go ahead and with your tangent, whatever you want to say, we're good.
2: So I, I get a little sensitive with the way that we apply, like we as in a bigger population apply clinical terms. And mm-hmm. so it makes me a little nervous because I don't like pathologizing for the most part, probably because my background is in social work. I sort of believe the entire DSM is bunk anyway, just mm-hmm. based on its roots and where it comes from. And it's just, I'm not so sure. Um, but nevertheless, where they're doing a great job of portraying is someone who, whether or not you want to identify a clinical term, I would call probably a a personality disorder. I think on a spectrum, when you're looking at that of how that impacts people in life, that often can be complex post-traumatic stress disorder. The line between, um, particularly a borderline personality disorder presentation and a complex PTSD is like pretty nuanced. So it's something that, um, As a clinician, the thing that I get a little nervous about when we're using mental health terms are sort of like how popular this kind of discourse is on like TikTok or um, things like that. What makes me nervous is that what I don't want to happen is that the folks that feel like, hey, I identify the way that this person makes me feel in what we're talking about with Roman. And now I'm running around telling that person you have a narcissistic personality disorder because it's just... That's really not up to any of us, right? So, Well, also, too, and
1: not to interrupt, but like I also feel like, too, when when in those types of situations, the discourse is lost, especially in that, like, you call it the TikTok mindset, but it's like the McDonald's, like, quick, like, you know, fast, 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 got to move and like, oh, now all of a sudden this person is this. And it's like, well, no, wait a second. Like, we're not, this is like a broad generalization here. First, we're taking a fictional character from a fictional story. And yes, a (laughs) lot of this applied to my own personal life, but it doesn't mean that that is immediately your thing. So I, I agree. I think we want to be really we want to set the tone and tenor early with that.
2: Yeah. So beyond that, though, the way that you're looking at Roman and what you see from him, um, it depends. And just because this is me, I take the I tend to take a compassionate viewpoint. So even when we're all the way up to the end of the final main event and money in the bank, I'm still able to look at Roman as an abuser and though a victim because there is something that's gone on with him as well. And so the other basic thing that I just always want everyone that can hear the sound of my voice to hear is that no matter what, if you are in an abusive situation or you're not being treated well, or you just feel that your boundaries are overrun, it's not your responsibility in that moment to take accountability for that person's psychosocial history the things that they've lived through, the abuses they've experienced, the things that the traumas that they may have ha- have experienced in life, those are important and those are meaningful, but that's not anyone else, but that person's to hold, carry, or unpack. And so sometimes um, I think that the, one of the most fascinating pieces of the bloodline story for me, at least, is not actually about Roman, who I think is the central narcissist figure, like the abuser figure. It's actually not even Paul Heyman, who I think is the mother figure. I think that's the enabling parent.
1: Oh, we have to explore that because I didn't think about that. We're going to come back to that, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
2: But what I think is the sort of the real life practical application that can be dastardly for people is a, a sort of another concept that applies across all three, so like Jimmy, Jay, and Solo, I think are great examples of the way that in real dysfunctional families, your role will switch. Mm. It's not common that you're always the scapegoat. It's not common that you're always the golden child, but you you may actually see that flipping around depending on the mood of the abuser um, or the objective of that central figure. Um, but so this concept of, and, and I, I just am using these, throwing these half, clinical terms out because then it's helpful if you go google this later you'll find communities full of folks that have experienced these things and are talking about it and kind of helping to share their um perspectives but this concept of a flying monkey i think is something that is super clear in the way that roman plays i would say jimmy and jay against one another on his behalf throughout the entire storyline because it's not Um, so a flying monkey is sort of like, they are still working on behalf of that central figure. So that abuser, if you want to call it that, but, um, they may or may not understand that they're working as an agent of abuse. Mm. So the way that you might see this play out in, um, a dysfunctional pattern of a romantic partnership is that it's, um, let's say my wife and I are having a lot of troubles. Um, I, you know, she may or may not be abusing me, but then I come and I have a phone call with her sister who's telling me, well, you know, she just acts like that because our dad was full of a lot of rage. So Mm. when she's throwing things at you, she's trying to hit you, she's not meaning that. Mm. She doesn't know better or kind of like the folks that you hear making the excuses why the abuse isn't okay, but why you are required to continue to take it
0: Mm.
2: Um, and kind of pulling that, that aspect that continues to pull you back in. And I think the way that you would see it in such a minute way, but I felt like the way that, um, often it was, it, it goes back and forth, but it would be, um, I noticed it clearly when there was. The whole situation with Sammy, right? So right. Sammy became, so this is like, this is a lot, but Sammy kind of becomes the golden child. So right. now it's not even about the Usos anymore. It's that Roman has decided, and that's when folks have complex trauma, if they have a personality disorder, if you want to use the pathologized words, um, it's very easy for folks to get trapped in a black and white thinking. So someone is all good or all bad. There's not a lot of nuance. There's not a lot of gray area there. And all of this always boils back down to clinically, something probably went catastrophically wrong in that individual's developmental stages that have trapped them essentially in a time and place that their brain is only able to be self-serving and functioning for themselves. Um, so it is very childlike. It is very toddler tantrum-esque and there isn't, um, there's not always a lot of insight for that. That's what's happening with a person. So that person feels righteous in their anger. Um, they might feel that they are right. And that they are the head of the table. Right. So from, if, if Roman is talking from Roman's perspective, and this is why I always think this whole thing is super interesting, is that I, I kind of think that if you unpacked it from each perspective, you could find where each of them believes they're right the entire time.
1: Agreed. Um, Agreed. And that's- as
2: in like I'm functioning out of love for my family.
1: Right. It's that that. that Walter White warped, like everything I do, I do for my family. But in reality, like you're murdering a bunch of people in jail, right? Like it's that very warped, uh, skewed viewpoint that is not based in reality, but based in some kind of trauma or some kind of madness that is unaddressed, right? And I said that in the tweet too about Sammy. It's interesting that we, we, you know, a lot of times I keep coming back to Sammy in this story, which I think- I don't know if it was necessarily intended to be that way as far as with the story right. initially, but it organically came to that point because Sammy, you're right, Sammy became the golden child and Roman is literally throwing this in Jay's face. Like, look at how great Sammy is and he's the honorary ooze and what are you not feeling oozey? And all the laughter we're having with that is because it's a funny line, right? Like it's getting in popping and, you know, like they're acting and clearly they're acting and they're laughing at these lines. But underneath that, there's a really dark and sinister tone to that. It's like, I and making Sammy right now and he's better than you how are you going to stand up to Sam and it's like this very weird dynamic and it very much mirrored my own abuse and and the things that happened to me in my life and and the concept of the flying monkey is is interesting because i felt that an, a lot growing up was you know i had to be somebody different every in each unique situation and the actions and the reactions that i had to situations were because I had to adapt and and mold myself to make sure that I was in the abuser's good graces because otherwise I was going to get my ass handed to me or something. You know, I would be I would be uh, you know emotionally neglected or I'd be you know we'd be beaten or whatever it was. And it was you know you had to toe the line. But if you asked each of us who grew up in that same situation, we would very very likely tell you that everything we did was because we were trying to look out for someone else, even though we all made our own mistakes. It's fascinating to think about.
2: Yeah. And it's really, I think, um, the, the most shocking part of unpacking this whole story. And I think a lot of the folks who have the highest level of emotional pain is that it does resonate a lot with a dysfunctional family dynamic. It does resonate with like an abusive parent, but it also resonates with just generally when you're developing in a chaotic environment where you don't know if you make a misstep, it will cause a rage reaction from an adult or a caregiver, especially as a child, you don't have the cognitive processing to understand. It actually wasn't my flip-flops that were too loud and made my mom start screaming. Like my mom has a low threshold for emotional distress and is anxious and agitated about other things. And it just was my flip-flop was the straw that broke the camel's back in the moment. But when you're eight, you don't, know that you just think that you caused it and you think that you are such a bad kid um that your mom is doing this because you've made it happen
1: it's um it's it's very much like i said i think um with sammy and i guess well not even really with sammy what's your take on solo because i've been kind of conflicted about his character development and where he is as as far as like where the dynamic lays with him and the family, because obviously, as we know, the character development shows that Solo Sokoa was sent from the elders to make sure that Roman is, you know, handling business and staying the tribal chief. But also, after watching Money in the Bank, you see that that division is starting to happen now, where Solo is like, "Can he really do this? Can he be the guy that leads the family, or are we starting to see this fall apart?" And when does he get involved? Like, how does what happens next with Jay? What's your take on Solo Sokoa as the character and his place inside of this whole, you know, narcissistic abuse network that's happening?
2: So I I often feel like, especially when there's more than two children, because sometimes when there's just two, it's like very clear, like their scapegoat, golden child, we're good. When there's more children, I think I see Solo as someone who is the one that um, in the real family dynamic would have that low investment Mm. and would maybe show up to those family events, but that often has a better perspective of the overall dynamic. So the way that I feel like I see that play out with Solo is that you see that he's very much, he's in the car with Roman and Paul, he'll go out with Roman and Paul, he's made his decision to stay with those two, much like, a youngest sibling would when their older siblings were starting to break away from that family and start individuating. Um, But you also see him beginning to process that realization that I think is sort of what we see mirrored throughout the story is that As you grow up in an abuse environment, you will get to a point where you eventually, and usually it's through experiencing your own loving partnership with someone who provides you with a different level of love than you've received from a parental figure. Um, If you're lucky, some people go through a lot of traumatic relationships, but I think it bubbles up for a lot of people when they have a a good relationship, Mm -hmm. um, that you start to feel like you... And so I I feel that that Sammy is sort of the... um, new daughter-in-law that they love at first yeah. and then they really fucking hate after yep. a minute because yep. she starts to ask some questions and she has a different perspective and she didn't come from this muck. And so when these things are happening to someone that she loves, so when Sammy would observe, I think even and when it felt like it was getting sticky for the others, he would be that voice to try to calm it down and try to like make it back, kind of get things back together and solos very much. That youngest child who's sort of still sticking with mom and dad for now, but the the traumatic piece and where you see it you see it even I think quite some time ago with Jimmy I think Jimmy hit the moment of whoa like this isn't you are a different person now and I think the conversation with Roman and what the realization they might be coming to with Roman is that you've changed as a person you've kind of created this like you believe your own hype i think Mm -hmm. is what the what they're looking at with the tribal chief business i think in real families what the kids end up getting older and coming to understand is that um mom or dad is incapable of experiencing joy and that inability to experience joy often plays out in life is that the, the feelings that feel most warm and sensitive and loving to them were things from their own chaotic upbringing. So when they feel connected to folks is when they're causing trouble, when there's fights, when there's discord, when there's hassle amongst the people, that chief, that mom, that vindictive mother, that vindictive father, whoever that may be, they feel good yep. because they've created a whole lot of mess and it feels like they are powerful and they've been able to shift that victim creator drama triangle. They've been able to flip it for them, but they don't someone who is truly functioning this way. And that's why I get nervous because everyone has narcissistic tendencies. And even now, like did you hear Michael Cole said narcissist. They've yeah. been like, they were dropping the words and I was like, Oh no, don't start dropping the words. We're like, doing this. We're breaking the fourth fall. wall. Don't do this. Yeah. Real, no, like <laughs> you don't tell people, like, don't everyone in your life is not, doesn't have a personality right. disorder that you don't like. Right. Like it, if you are running around telling everyone they have a personality disorder, baby, I need you to get the mirror, honey, because <laughs> it's probably you. I feel like the one, the folks who yeah. are constantly trying to pathologize others and the folks yeah. that are constantly feeling that they're in the positionality to judge and that they can look at a life and know what's best are usually the people who don't have a lot of insight for their own life and behavior. So that's why it's a lot easier to access commentary on other folks. But it's, uh, whether or not they there. It's
1: wild that you just mentioned all that though. Cause I'm, I'm t- like, I, 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 reflect back on my own life as uh, like, I'm reflecting on my own experiences and, and, and happenings and trauma. And again, it's like, to be clear, like it, like, it took me a long time to say the words. Like I had a traumatic upbringing. I had a traumatic yeah. childhood. I was uh, physically, emotionally, mentally abused by someone in my life. Um, yeah. And it took me a long time to say that because a lot of times, and I, and I feel like maybe, Uh, To connect this with the bloodline, I feel like maybe Jay experiences that as well. It's like you almost feel like an imposter you feel like you're making this up. Like you feel like it's not as bad as you think it is. And you're like, well, fuck this. Like so many other people are going through something so worse. I'm like, what if that person, you know, like, and you're constantly, like you said, to tie it back to what you were saying a a, a little bit ago, um, you're constantly making excuses as to why their behavior is that way. Oh, well, it's that way because this person had like awful trauma in their life and they had something way worse in their life. So I should just be lucky that I'm not experiencing what they went through. And because right. of that, you experience this disconnect, right? This emotional disconnect. And, and I, I, it constantly felt like my life was really like a pro wrestling drama because every time somebody would step to, to, to my tribal chief, it mm-hmm. was, it was hellfire and brimstone. We're knocking the fucking world down and, and, you know, take, uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli kind of stuff. And it was very much like black and white, very binary, um, happenstance. You don't go against the family. I made you, you know, very, very clear and direct and binary terms. Like, you do You do this or else. So I think when I watch this, again, it triggers all those, like, emotions where I'm like, holy shit, this was really my life, like, in a lot of ways. And um, to tie it back to, to something that was, uh, you know, kind of explosive in this entire story, like you said, with Jimmy noticing who Roman was. Uh, you know, we're getting through, I, I guess, 2020, 2021. We're getting through all these, these years of abuse. Jay is stripped of who he is. Jimmy stripped of who he is. And now we're at the rumble and Sammy is just getting it stuck to him, you know, and he's just, I'm, he's, you can see he's very conflicted. And I think he is the flashpoint for the end of the tribal chief. And we get to the point where he's, he's damaging Kevin Owens and he's asking him to do it and he's shoving him in the face and Sammy does what Jimmy and Jay should have done a long time ago and the place goes crazy. What were you thinking in that moment? Again, and I have to always preface this by saying from your professional you know, uh, lens, what were you thinking in that moment as the chair comes from the, the, the shoulder and hits Roman in the back?
2: I think even in that moment, it was I was wondering what jimmy and jay do because sammy's still kind of it's almost the easiest for the most outsider to buck up against the abuse because they've whoever has experienced it for the least amount of time right is going to be the least entrenched so for that it to be like really and i think a lot of times you see that you see that play out in real life and dysfunctional families where um we've we like this the in-law, like we like the new spouse of the child until they want to not be only in our family and then it becomes a choose. And so that was very much for Sammy. He had to choose. Is it my new family? Am I with the bloodline? And I just let go of this history with Kevin Owens and he made the choice not to. And that is those tipping points where a lot of times in real life, it's that tipping point to make a decision for the other side. So for the family member, so who's more entrenched, that's where they go, okay, wow. You know what I mean? It's not about the abuse I've experienced. I don't see it as a new, um, it's just another Tuesday to Roman and Jimmy and Jay, right? This isn't even, a, it's not even an extraordinary event because right. when someone is so continually abusive, they you kind of just get acclimated to that. Right, um, Kevin,
1: hitting Kevin Owens in the head unprotected with a chair shot, it's just another... That's another match, right? That's another end for them, right?
2: This is what it is. Right. Whereas you then, you see Sammy turn on Roman and I, in the moment, I was like, oh, what does this inspire for the Usos, right? Like, where do they go? Because there is this connection and I think they did a really nice job of also portraying that when you, um, when you're a person who's experienced abuse often. So like Jay, I think this was in, see, this was in your tweet, that yeah. is that Jay is super slow to warm and is very distrustful yeah. and doesn't really feel comfortable trusting Sammy. And then you have him actually begin to trust him and to feel warm and feel affinity and fondness for him and then to have Roman take him out. Yeah. Become so much more stark in a way. And I think that's a lot of the time that in real life, That's when people, that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. It's like, you've done this to me my whole life, but you will not disrespect my wife, right? Or you've done this to me my whole life, but you will not raise your hand at my child. So it's like, you kind of get to these times that, so it was, you know, Sammy's out, I'm out. It was like the fallout of, okay, what happens now with, and you know, what's actually super interesting is I didn't necessarily anticipate it being, um, I mean I probably should have but I didn't necessarily think that Jimmy was going to be the first kind of like right like yeah. I yeah yeah I for some reason I just I thought that we were going straight to Jay like I didn't realize like from a t- storytelling perspective it right. was a lot more sense. and I feel like
1: I <laughs> I feel like in that situation like I if Jim or if Jay had been the one that attacked Sammy immediately following that it would have kind of b- botched the story for me because right. Jay has to have this moment. Jay has to have this Mm -hmm. visceral, emotional reaction, screaming, smacking his hands, covering his face like he's just distraught at what's happening Mm -hmm. for a multitude of reasons, you know, because I'm going to be blamed for this. I'm the guy that loved Sammy. I'm the guy that vouched for him in the long run. You know, what does this mean for me? Now, I love Sammy because you can see the connection because- Jay knows that Sammy will do what he needs to do to, to support the family and have his back. And um, what does that mean for me now as the individual with the abuser? Because now he's going to put this on, you know, so and it was part of the, the tweet that I said was like, Sammy, you know, Jay didn't attack Sammy on Raw that night because he wanted to. He did it Not because right. he was protecting Jimmy. Yeah. And in some ways himself, but mostly Jimmy, the entire story has been, and they even kind of alluded to it, you know, at the end, uh, a couple of weeks back when, you know, Jay and Jimmy left the bloodline officially and they, they super kicked him and, you know, uh, I, it's always been looking, you know, I'm, I'm 10 steps behind you. And then I stepped up because you got hurt. You know, there's this power dynamic between the two of them where Jimmy's always looked out for Jay in their personal life and in the professional ring. Jay has the opportunity to do that now, But he sees he knows the abuse that Roman's giving him and he's got to protect Jimmy from that. And it's like it's just just, there's there's so many layers to it. Um, But I think it's it's you're right. It's that it's that feeling where and again, parallels to my own life. Right. It, It was bringing my current wife home. And introducing her, it's like dropping water into this boiling pot of oil. You're going to have a lot of shit go down, and it's not going to yeah. be pretty. And and I think people underestimate um, how difficult a situation like that can be.
2: Yeah. And just – in like my – I think it's natural in all marriages, but I think you often get also as the, the new spouse or like the new person in the dynamic – you unknowingly become a, a conduit for your partner's unaccessed rage. Right. Because there's so much like deep trauma within them that you know and that you feel for. So you get to a point where um, just everything gets very hairy because there's a lot to unpack and like a lot going on at all times. So that's, it's definitely very real. I think the real life applications of how, um, the dynamics typically play out has been one of the most fascinating like the my biggest question about the whole bloodline storyline is like who's writing this <laughs> like you know, you know what I mean this is way like too real
1: like, way, way too close to home so
2: good yep. like you're doing too well for this to not actually have some foundation so yeah. i think there's a lot of times um yeah there there's a lot of nuance to this story and i think the the folks that emotionally resonate with it are the people who are doing their own work around this or who may be actually coming up to those same revelation moments themselves, um, about, you know, this makes you feel uncomfortable, right? Like you can, you know, a lot of times too, I think, um, I think, the concept of narcissistic narcissistic abuse is is sort of talked about more now in the um, sort of social media consciousness as far as romantic relationships. Mm. I think it often you hear think, people talking about like um, my narc ex husband. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're talking about when things dissolve. Um, and there's not always this. There's not a lot of portrayal of this psychodrama within a family that is for, um, that's, I guess, um, rooted in a male perspective. Mm. So you kind of see these other, often when you get these toxic family stories or psychodramas, it's um, a female character. And so I think it was incredibly compelling for me that throughout this time, there is no female character in the bloodline.
1: Fascinating. I didn't even I didn't even connect that until you said that right now. It's fascinating. That there and, isn't
2: you know, there's there isn't and so every display of emotion that you're seeing is a man displaying a range of emotion, which in and of itself I think is sort of an incredibly powerful portrayal to have on television. Period. But I think especially within a pro wrestling medium, it's like pretty cool. Yeah. So that that's one of the things that I mean, we're definitely evolving as a society, but I think in any way that, um, we make these mental health conversations more accessible and in terms that we can like sort of talk about it easily, there's gotta be, um, there's gotta be young folks who are watching WWE who feel that same feeling, that are getting that reson- they something about this is resonating with me. And I think what they've done an excellent job of it, so far, it's not over yet. Right, right? we still but got we time. Just, we got
1: a lot of legs money. on the story still,
2: yeah. Yeah, for sure. We just saw Money in the Bank, but I think that one of the, um, the best take-homes, I hope, from the entire thing would be that if anyone feels that sense of being Jimmy ever, you can also be Jimmy at the end of Money in the Bank. Like, you can always get out. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds... That's always cheesy and cliche. I can't, you know, there's always a lot of reasons, but you, no one has to feel that they are compelled to accept abuse, right. no matter how you're related to your abuser. And so that's something that um, I'm really glad that he got to have that triumphant moment. I'm glad all victims of abuse had that triumphant moment. because it was kind of nice. I mean, we'd all kind of like to hit someone with a chair sometimes, right? <laughs> um <laughs> that the super kick was particularly satisfying for me. Yeah. I was pleased as well and I think the um, one of the most fascinating things about last night was that roman um, they Roman himself, I believe. So not Roman, so Joe himself right. um has probably done some kind of reading around the experience of being that abuser or mm-hmm. being emotionally stunted, um, being emotionally immature. I mean, there's a deep well of research on what emotionally immature mothers do to people. I mean, that's like we could I could talk about that for six hours. Um <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my bread and butter. Um but there's I definitely think that you watched an excellent portrayal of a narcissistic rage, and it can be spun out, but the core of it is every narcissist hates themselves deeply, Mm -hmm. has a lot of internal self-loathing and that comes from their own trauma. But the way that it manifests in the world, the way that it pops out is that it's um, oftentimes sensitivity to slights, but it it can oftentimes to be this grandiose, Presentation. So that's kind of where this tribal chief, I am the tribal chief. And then you have thousands of people chanting at you, tribal wanker. Yeah. And you watch through the match. It was felt beautifully calculated. I don't think it could have been quite to that degree because I guess they don't really know what the crowd's going to say. But um, they, I would assume you could anticipate that it'll be a hostile environment is what they were just saying. <laughs> That's the buzzword of the week. Hostile environment. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> slam it in the keyboard. Right. Hostile environment. Yep. <laughs> yep.
2: Um, but I think they did a, bu- a I think the actor portraying Roman Reigns did an excellent job of um by the end of that, that was a very, very broken down narcissist Mm -hmm. that was taken back to the smallest level he's now not only showing how small he is he's actually sounding small like they had they had him um one of the camera shots was he was just telling paul Heyman, but i think he was like they're idiots yeah they're mean, you know what I mean? Like the thing, the way, the very language. Childlike, was, very was,
1: childlike, very childlike. This place childlike. is this place is the worst place in the world and these this people are idiots. The worst, yeah. Yeah. These people are
2: idiots. And, it there's, was
1: and like, to your point, Paul is there as the enabling parent. It's okay, baby, it's okay. They don't know anything. They don't know nothing, anything, my tribal chief. It's okay, they're stupid. You're the best.
2: Like everyone else is wrong. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're right.
1: Oof! I just and, got chills thinking. <laughs> Literally, yeah. like when you, when you mention that about Paul Heyman being that enabling parent, like on the the in that in the world that I exist in, that also mm-hmm. that dynamic also exists with people in my stratosphere, and it's yeah. they are connected very closely with my abuser. So their abuse, while we all kind of experience the same thing, they experience mm-hmm. that enabling portion that I never got, right? Where it's, you know, don't worry. You know, I'm the only, and again, like I, we, I got this in a different way, but it's don't worry. It's everyone else's fault except for you. You didn't do anything wrong. Let's talk about what they did. But in the, in the back, they're going, you can't do anything without me. I -hmm. made you. You're, you're Mm -hmm. nothing without me. And it's like that very real. And so when I, now that when you, when you said the enabling parent, it connected all with me with Paul about how instrumental and integral he is for that character because without Paul Roman can't continue his narcissism
2: so go a level deeper of just Amanda's personal conspiracy theory Mm. I'm here for it I think that there's so in real clinical terms the enabler can be someone who's doing it on purpose or they're doing it to avoid being the victim of the abuser anyway right so a lot of times in parental relationships it's like it's dad who takes a passive role and lets mom do her own thing because if she's screaming at them, she's not screaming at me. Um, if she's busy getting fixated on whatever she's doing to control or helicopter these children, I can keep my affair going. Nobody cares. So it's like there's different layers in real life. Um, my secret WWE conspiracy theory would be that the entire thing is actually not what it seems and that it's actually paul Heyman is the malignant narcissist who is but like where they're not the face of it they set everyone else up to do the work for them and there's always going to be a supply in the background so that brock and cody thing don't trust that i don't trust that no i think paul Heyman has a sticky fingers in that i think there was something with that I think Roman didn't know about it because that was loud. they played it. Like, did you know he was going to be there? And I think that scene has something that that plane has not landed yet and will land later. I don't know if it won't even land until like next year, WrestleMania, but that to me, there's something. So. Wow. I really, I like, I like the idea of Roman being the ultimate. He was the tribal chief. I just also kind of expect to see Even as you see the bloodline crumble, I think it will be a compelling story to see that it's actually like you can build your own. If you have a dastardly mind, you can build your own warrior for whoever you are and you can maintain your narcissistic control without having to get your hands as dirty. And those are the people in life. Those are the real deal, right? Yep. So, like a malignant—that's where you're actually you're weaving off. And I'm again, this—he doesn't have a stage name, right? I think that is that his. That's his. Name? That's his, Yeah,
1: that's his. That's, that's his, his given God. name. Yeah.
2: So I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm. Mr. Heyman is a wonderful person. I'm sure. I'm sure <laughs> he's not a narcissist. But also, the way that they could very well spin this is that he's been a sociopath pulling the strings all along mm-hmm. and that that's where those are the really dangerous people in life because that's the sweet church lady. Yeah. That's the one who smiles in your face, but then is doing the wildest stuff behind the scenes and really getting so much joy out of chaos mm-hmm. um, without ever experiencing actual joy. And so that's sort of two When you encounter these people in life, the one thing that you might be able to tell yourself, no matter what your relationship to them has been, is that it is possible that they were broken when you found them. It is very possible they've never been capable of experiencing joy. You didn't cause it, no matter how much they try to make you responsible for it. Mm -hmm. You didn't do it. And so you didn't cause it, you can't cure it and you can't change it. Only they can do that. Yeah. And most of the time, folks that are having these really pervasive patterns of dysfunctional relationships, they, they won't do it. There is no do it. Yeah. Those are not the folks who come to my office. Those are not the folks who take medication because they know that they maybe have a family history of being just neurochemically handicapped, right? Like you just come from a line of folks that are genetically predisposed and you maybe want to explore psychopharmacology that doesn't happen. I mean, these are folks who feel like, um, you'll often even hear them if they do engage with mental health, which, um, like I was in a public hospital setting. So I would talk to, I would say 98% of the folks I talked to in the hospital setting did not want to be talking to me. Hmm. Um, they were not, they weren't like coming to speak to me. They were needing to go through me to access something else or needing to, um, like fulfill a court requirement. I mean, there was like different reasons why you would interact with folks, but um, those court-ordered scenarios are things where they need to do X, Y, and Z because then X, Y, Z will benefit them. You'll see them engage with service systems. But if you have like, if your husband will go to therapy with you, and engage and talk and sit there and kind of engage in a level of insight. Don't, don't flip the fact that he leaves the toilet seat up around on him and (laughs) common narcissists. Like he's not, (laughs) that's not, that's, that's, yeah, that's that's not not what it is. Everyone can be be inherently selfish. I think if you hear people displaying insight to their behavior, they're probably don't have a personality disorder
1: because the
2: people that really do think that I'm right. You're
1: wrong. Suck it. Yeah. Essentially, I mean that's that's like mm-hmm. I can think of I can think of again in my in my own and I, I, to tie it back like I can think of I'm sitting here as you were talking about it and I'm thinking about the last interaction I had with my abuser and I remember calling them out on a specific behavior and something that was the flashpoint. It was my Sammy moment, right? It was like I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not fucking doing this anymore. I can't yeah. do this anymore because it's not about me. It's about my mm-hmm. children, right? Yeah. And I laid it out and I, you know, stated my case. And then I was told that I was crazy and that I needed a therapist. It was t- textbook, cl- you know, gaslighting from this person, right? And it dawned on me that no matter what I was going to do, I was never going to fix this person. Mm-hmm. And that whatever kind of love or whatever I had for this person is is – It it, it's almost irrelevant, and to be clear, like I don't even know if I have love for this person, right? Because of the the impact of the abuse in my life. Yeah. But whatever was there may remain there, Mm
2: -hmm. but
1: I can't continue to allow this type of behavior in my life. It's it's just not going to work for me, right? And that's a really weird space to be in right? Especially as you're going through this, I'm sure you've seen your, you know, people that you've worked with come in. It's like this, this, like, you know, a lot of times, you know, people who have shared their, their stories with me and, and people that are close to me in my circle, you know, it's like, I, I love this person. They may love that person, but they can't do anything more to help them. And they, and the only thing that happens when they're with them is more pain. And I think that kind of is where, maybe where Jay is right now. It's like, I, I can't do anything else for you anymore. I have to show you that I can overcome you. And I can show you that I'm going to, that I, I am something without you, right? I can mm-hmm. be, I, I exist as an individual without you. And while I may love you as a brother or as someone in my family, I'm done and, and I'm out and I can't do this anymore. And I don't want to do this anymore. And so I think that that was a really important part for me with money in the bank with that frog splash at the end. And he peek pins him mm-hmm. clean. Like, there's no mm-hmm. way you can tell me, Amanda, that these writers were not watch- have not been studying the uh, the uh, psychoanalysis and the discourse that's been going on in the literature, like the fact that Jay was the one main event. Jay Uso mm-hmm. was the one who pinned him after 1,254 consecutive days of never mm-hmm. taking a clean loss. Jay Uso is the one who pinned it. I mean, for me, if that's where the story ends with Jay, I don't think it is. But if it is, right. I mean, it's yeah. just it's 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 it's, it's cinema. It's it's beautiful. Yeah. I know that's a controversial thing in wrestling Twitter, but it is. I mean, it's it's. I can't recall a story that has impacted me or people around me as much as as the bloodline story, and it 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 begs to be like it's going to be studied. It's going to be looked at as as I would say, and I want your thoughts on this as well. Um, do you think that this is the best story that's ever been told in pro wrestling? <laughs> Sorry to put you on the spot there, but.
2: I think it's I think it's one of the greatest total stories. I think it is probably I mean I think it's the best story of the last 20 years. Yeah, yep. yep. I I also I would I started to say the the best family story of all time, but I I think I think there's a variety of family stories that are still going mm. and that I don't think, you know, that it's hard to know where that ends, but as far as, yeah, I think it's the, it's the best modern portrayal of family and brotherhood and love between men that I think is something that we've never seen in professional wrestling because it is usually rooted in the, chase of a championship where it's it's kind of folks are having these um they might be in the same faction but they're not necessarily on that same page in that same way so for this to be a real life family who is exploring real life family dynamics I don't think you get of I don't I can't think of another story that emotionally resonates with people in the same way so when you say like what's great storytelling to me that's that's what great storytelling is, is that it makes you feel something mm-hmm. um, without a whole lot of bells and whistles, right? So yep. I would say so. I don't know. What do you think? Me? I mean, for, now.
1: Now, now I have to do, because I put you on the spot. That's fair, fair. I appreciate that. Um, for me, I would say your analysis is, is pretty much where I land at. I'm not sure I have watched a story in professional wrestling that has told a family arc, a brotherhood arc, a a love arc, right? Cuz again, mm-hmm. this is rooted in love. A lot of this is yeah. rooted in love. And yes. I don't see many portrayals on television or in film about right. the masculine love portion of, you know, life. Because we all experience yeah. it, right? And and society right. has put us in this weird box where like men can't tell people that they love each other and they can't be emotional with their friends or their brothers or people that are close to them that are also met. It's like, it's this, it's, it's, it's this very taboo, even in 2023, it's this taboo uh, story. It's this taboo feeling. So I think it's done a lot, especially in the professional wrestling world which can tend to be a little sticky with things. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's very much, it's allowing those wings to be spread and it's allowing yeah. people to look at this I and mean, maybe it's the the catalyst for someone who is feeling very, you know, uh, macho and they're and they're expressing themselves in very I don't want to say chauvinistic but very like, you know, patriarchal ways, right? They're looking mm-hmm. at it at it in a different context and saying, okay, I did not realize, you know, this guy, Roman Reigns, he looks like a fucking Greek god, right? He's like, he's a better looking Aquaman. And he, which is crazy to say, but like, he's a better looking Aquaman. And it's like, it's this dynamic that I think is going to allow people to look inward in themselves and use this as a springboard, right? Because we can talk about the Sopranos, right? Because that's also very yeah. much foundational. You can even talk about the Godfather, right? It's a very, it's yeah. foundational in a in a very uh, masculine You know, a sense of love and tradition and and, uh, duty of self to self and to the family and the greater good. So I think Mm -hmm. you can look at it in a lot of ways. But I do, I would say the past 20 years, I can't recall a story that has impacted me in wrestling the way that this has. There might be some, you know, like the McMahon drama and, you know, obviously Hogan turning heel. You're going to get people feeling something. That's a flashpoint in wrestling history, good, bad, or indifferent. But I think for me as far as it from a storytelling perspective, probably the best in the past twenty years. I, I would I would be hard pressed to find anything else.
2: And I, I think every other example I thought of is not a purely fictional story mm-hmm. either. So right. it's like things that come to mind are not they're not applicable in the same way. Like purely fictional storyline. Yeah, I think so.
1: For sure. And I guess, yeah. I guess the final question I have for you here, because I, I could, we could do this again, because I'm, I'm going to have you back on the show. Once Roman... Okay. I'm, I, I, I'm sure there's going to be something crazy that happens at SummerSlam, and we'll have you back to assess that. But once Roman's reign, for lack of a better term, is over. Uh, mm-hmm. So this is a two-part question here. Do you think it's going to be someone in the bloodline who ends the reign of Roman reigns? And if it's not... From a storyline perspective, whether it's Brock Lesnar, whether it's Cody Rhodes, who do you think it is that ends that story for Roman as the you know, undisputed universal champion if it's not someone in the bloodline? I can't see a
2: way forward where it's not someone in the bloodline. I think that it would be, and I, um, this is like a total aside aside. Sure. But I was um, postpartum right when Cody hopped from AEW to WWE. Mm. And I was brand new at being, like, dirt sheet writer girl. So I became obsessed with Cody Rhodes. Like, obsessed. Like, where is he? What's he doing? Is he going? What's going on? Like, whoa. Like, literally would be talking about Cody Rhodes all the time. My husband... No. Okay. No. It's okay, everyone. It's fine. But my obsession with Cody Rhodes was deep. And so even when he loses at Mania, I go, yeah, okay. All right. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I, like, I'm not like, happy about it. I'm not pumped. Like I was definitely wearing a Cody Rhodes t-shirt. I was ready yep. to have a good night, but at two the same of, time.
1: Two out of my four children, and I'm sure the baby would have cried because she's a, you know, she's oh, a Cody right. fanatic as well. But, you know, um, they were crying like real <gasps> tears yes, when Cody that- lost. Like I can remember that feeling as a child watching Hulk Hogan yes. lose to the ultimate warrior. I love yes. both of these guys, but I'm a freaking Hulkamaniac and I'm weeping because he, and it was like, it was crazy to see that dynamic, but sort of in the same way. Like I've always, I've, I've been a long term, long time fan of Cody. Uh, Cody's, Coming back to WrestleMania was the day that my daughter was born, uh, April oh, 2nd, no. 2022. So we're watching oh, wow. Seth Rollins trying to figure out who his opponent is. And my wife is like, yep, the baby's coming right now. Like, we're, it, we're, wa- we're literally watching it in the delivery room on my laptop. And she's like, you got to pause it. And I was like, I, I think it's fucking <laughs> Cody. He's coming. Like, are you right now? You know? So it's just, it's, it, I was fully invested at that point. Yeah. But you're right. Like, that initial impact, you're like, what the fuck, how could they miss this moment? It doesn't make any sense. This is crazy. And then you take a step back and you went, nah, all right, I get it. I can see that. I get it now. Yeah.
2: And then even last night I was like, oh, because we had to finish the story. This is the story. So Jay finished the story. <laughs> yep. Okay, now what do we do? And so I don't know where they go from here, because I think it is such a popular story. I think they're still selling merch. Like yeah. it's still very like, I don't see it necessarily ending anytime soon, but if and I don't, I don't remember where I read it, honestly. So don't quote me. I, I have no scoops. I am the <laughs> least scoopful person on earth. So please nobody thinks that I know what I'm talking about. Um, but for some reason, I thought that I read that there's a possible, like a rumor that it's a four wet, like a, um, mm at SummerSlam would be it's like Jimmy versus Jay versus Solo versus Roman and I don't know if that is real um but that for the title would be really I think a good way then to write Roman off for a good number of months Mm. um and then I think see what happens from there but I don't know what th- – then you balance, there's a lot of creative direction, and then there's all this stuff that we don't even know, which is right. often the thing that I get stuck on of like, yeah, but they have a series of figures that's going to be Roman holding it with this, so they're not going to do that until that's already released. I mean, right. there's like this whole business – giant that I know nothing about that goes into decision-making for creative that I think we often lose when we're talking about like what we want to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, they can't just do whatever they want. I think there's like a lot of business ramifications, but I would hope to see one of the other members of the bloodline dethrone Roman. I don't think it could be anyone else unless there is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The
1: name the guy yeah yeah. you're talking about the the, you're talking about you're talking about rock of course hollywood superstar rock the dwayne johnson is who we're speaking about here right we're talking about dwayne
2: we could have that i think is interesting and i've often thought that the theory that solo was sent by dwayne is the most interesting theory that it's actually like blew blew my
1: fucking mind with that could continue
2: please continue yeah yeah elders I, i don't and like Again, no scoops, please. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, don't quote but, me, bro. Uh, you no, know, please don't quote me, bro. Um, Amanda from WrestleTalk said it's like my most terrifying. Oh, I mean, it's gonna be all
1: over the dirt sheets. I can't wait. It's gonna be everywhere soon. Yep. Yeah.
2: Here's what she said. Um, she said Dave Maltzer called her and told her. That. No.
1: A five-star tweet, friends, a five-star
2: tweet. Yeah, this is five star tweet. Um, but yes, I think the, the long-standing theory that like I've never let go of in my mind is that Solo is sent by specifically The Rock, and that he's there not to necessarily um, be the most supportive of characters, but to get like the intel mm. um, and to have to compile kind of like the dossier for the future. That he's like The Rock's inside guy. There's also I don't and I, they've kind of started to address it. But like my editor and I are super obsessed with the fact that Paul Heyman has that cell phone out at all times. At all times. And it's whole and he holds it like he doesn't just hold it. It's not like it's just Heyman He's himself stinking around on Twitter. Holding He's it like, like this.
1: yeah. recording. Recording. And then
2: he'll go call Roman Reigns, right? So like that part they've started to show where he's calling him, so I think the idea that he's constantly feeding reports to Roman, but I also kind of think there's something else going on with that and mm. I don't know exactly what it is. Um but yeah, so if it's not the rock, the other option would I think be an uh, just an extreme betrayal and it's baroque. That right. it's that kind of this bloodline has crumbled. Um, Roman's really unprotected and that Haman would make the decision out of his own self-interest to hop back and support Brock. And then that might make a little bit of sense directionally just because they've put so much investment in a feud between Brock and Cody. Mm -hmm. And I think there's real heat, like real deal um, meat on the bones of putting Cody and Heyman on a mic at the same time yes like i don't think i don't think there's anything that was better in the lead up to because i felt like roman and cody against each other on the mic was compelling right i think cody and paul Heyman versus each other on the mic was that back to we're talking cinema again so yeah that's you completely blur-, blur the line of what's real, which is sort of that suspended reality moment is what we all love in professional wrestling. Like with the let's get in arguments about work, shoot, work yourself into a shoot, brother. Um, like those <laughs> right. are the. Lines.
1: Well, you're talking I about think. doing Vince, what Vince Russo thought he was doing. Right. Like you're like mm-hmm. and that's where I think the, the genius of Paul Heyman comes into play is the fact that like no one does it better than Paul. And you're watching this right. and you're sucked into what he's talking about with Dusty and, and NXT and like the buildup and like, boom, he just smacks you in the face. You're like, holy shit, I can't believe I just watched. You're rewinding it back because you're trying to get the pieces. And I could mm. see that. I could see very much so. For me, my money, if, you're, if, if anybody's asking, if anybody's listening and wants to know, I think Jay is going to be the guy that dethrones him. I think that's the only thing for me that makes sense. Um, I, think, yeah. I think, and you know, don't quote me, bro, because I, I, I don't want to be quoted because I, I, too, have, I probably have less scoops than you. But um, I would say, I think how they're going to set this up is, is that Jimmy's probably going to be taken off TV, right? Something's going to happen. There's going to be some big blowout, and Jay's going to be all alone again. At the same mm-hmm. time, concurrently, while that's happening, Solo leaves Roman. And Paul leaves Roman fulfilling the destiny of what Cody Rhodes said prior to WrestleMania. Roman is on an island by himself. He can't have anybody come in. There's no Gaga. There's no interference. There's no Samoan spikes. And Jay kicks the shit out of him and he wins. And that's how they take the title off of him. For me, from someone from the bloodline, that's the only way it makes sense. I will say, though... I could absolutely see Brock taking the titles off of him. if they can't get Dwayne, right? If they can't get Dwayne and they can't build the same storyline, I've long maintained that if Dwayne was going to be a part of the story. Initially, I was like, no, I think he's going to be a notch under the belt, right? Because he got Edge and Daniel Bryan and like all these names, right? And he's beaten everybody and no one can touch him. And I was like, Rock will just be another name on that list. I don't think that's the case. I think if Rock comes in, Rock beats mm-hmm. him for the title and goes, you may be the tribal chief, but you're never going to be better than me. And now I've shown you because all this stuff that Solo has sent to me. Right. So I, I could see that story, but I could also see Brock being sort of the, uh, the dark horse candidate um, because, and also to, to tie it back to something Brock did and something Cena said recently was about Brock beating him, beating Cena rather in such a, uh, in a, a very quick fashion because of the streak ending. Right. If you think in terms of wrestling lore and people who are in the world of, of professional wrestling, there's really nobody bigger than Brock Lesnar as far as in a sense of accomplishments. Right. What's mm-hmm. the biggest accomplishment you could have in wrestling is ending the Undertaker streak. Right. What would be the what what could top that? What could possibly top that is ending Roman Reigns unprecedented uh, championship streak. So I could see that. That's a a very very valid point.
2: Uh, We'll have to see.
1: I'm waiting for it. I am excited for what comes next. Amanda Savage, I want to thank you so much for pulling this apart with me. This has been wonderful. I've been very excited about this episode. Where can people find your work and where can people find you on social media?
2: Yeah, so wrestletalk.com if you're watching a live wrestling show and you want to read an article about what you're watching, I might have written it. A lot of the time it's me. Um, So yeah, any day of the week, wrestletalk.com if it's not an article that I've written some other really smart, sweet person has and they deserve your click too, so go check them out. And then my Twitter, if that works anymore, is um, underscore. Does
1: it? I don't know. I haven't checked (laughs) it.
2: You can try it. Uh, It's like underscore or Amanda savage um, on Twitter yeah just really do that that's 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 it this is my, <laughs> this is my second podcast appearance fantastic
1: very- I, I have this um, has been fantastic I have very much enjoyed uh, pulling the story apart and there like you said there's still much more meat on the bone I'm looking forward to having you back on again uh, thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it and uh, we'll talk again soon
2: have a good day <laughs>
0: Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and produced by Adam Barnard. Additional production and narration provided by Sam Kreps. The show was mixed and engineered by Carl Pinnell. Our intro and outro music was performed and produced by Dumb Ugly. Additional musical accompaniment provided by Enrichment. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Elmi Follow us on Twitter at FND Radio Pod. And find our entire archive at foundationradio.net. This has been a bunch of Butts Carlton Media Production. Butts Carlton Proprietor.